0: Hey, Taco Tuesday fans. This is Christian Brindle. And I am Glenn Shelton. We came together and combined our forces to create something special for insurance agents called Taco Tuesday. Let's taco about insurance. My company, Christian Brindle Insurance Services, and my company, Lead Heroes, is here to bring you the latest and greatest news happening in the insurance industry today and eat some tacos while we do it.
1: If you enjoy the content that we put out on this podcast, feel free to leave us a review or subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Without further
0: ado, let's get into this episode of Taco Tuesday.
1: looks like we are live. Ron, I would love to know a little more about, like, if you wanted to take a few minutes and kind of introduce yourself, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, and I'm sure our viewers and listeners would too.
2: Yeah, sure. So, uh, I've been in the insurance and financial services for, I guess, about 13 years now, Um, but, you know, this is my second career. Before that, I've been a Police officer for about 23. And I just finally completely retired from that this past December. So, uh, about 12, 13 years ago, I was working full time as a police officer. I was at the uh, academy training. I was the academy commander when I left and pretty, you know, pretty high stress job at the academy, believe it or not. And uh, decided I, I wanted to leave it actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wanted to, you know, get married and start a family and not have to be, wear a bulletproof vest to work every day. So, yeah, you got out of that. And I kind of just sat around for a couple months. Wasn't real sure what I wanted to do. And uh, some recruiter, I don't know how he found me, just called me out of the blue. Probably just a just a cold call because that's what they do. Called me from Banker's Life and Casualty. and, and uh, Good
0: old bankers. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, The rest is history. Here I am. Crazy. That's awesome. So I went, uh, I was with them for not very long, about six months, um, long enough to to get their training, which is really, really good, uh, and figure out that there was something called a captive agent and something called an independent agent. And uh, if I was going to be on my own as far as generating business and prospecting, and I might as well, you know, be independent and make more money doing it.
1: So I I would love to ask, so you, what licenses do you possess? I guess that would be the easiest question to ask.
2: I just have a a standard, you know, health and life insurance license. And uh, I have a series 65 securities registration. And how, so with
1: the series 65, how difficult is that? I know just from, again, kind of previous conversations and talking with agents this will come up quite a bit. And I've talked to a few agents about it. Um, I bet there's a lot of insurance agents who will listen to this or watch this, who would love to know what it entails to get the series 65. And a follow-up question too to that is how does the 65 uh, vary from the the six and 63, I believe (laughs) is the other license.
2: Yep. Yeah, so I'll answer the, the second question first. The, okay. So the Series 65 is is called the Universal Securities Act. Uh, it's not really a license. None of those are licenses. They're, they're yeah, registrations. Yeah. So they don't have the same requirements as, a li- as say, an insurance license does where uh, you, you pay a fee for the license. You do it every year. Every two years it expires. And then you've got continuing education. There's none of that. You, you take the test once. You get... Um, employed or partnered with a firm who completes your registration with either the the SEC or the or FINRA or the state securities board but beyond that there's no really ongoing requirements so it's not a license but the difference between the different series say series six series seven those are commission-based brokers so stock brokers mutual fund brokers and then the series 65 is a more or less a fee-based advisor. So instead of selling stocks and mutual funds and bonds and uh, futures contracts, instead of selling those on commission, I'm providing advisory services in exchange for a fee.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So okay. I don't get paid
2: a commission by any any financial institution, I'm paid a fee by the client. And that's the simplest way to, to explain it. And so, w- the series six and seven, the old style brokers are kind of going out of style. And the reason they're going out of style is because people like me are able to sell against them really effectively saying, whose best interest is at heart here? If you're paying me a fee that's based on the size of your account or a flat rate that we predetermined, then I have no incentive to buy stocks or mutual funds from this financial institution over here that pay me a higher commission. When there's another institution over here that would sell the same or similar security for a lower commission, like yeah. a commission-based broker. So yeah. although you know you can't say most brokers would do that, would do something that's not in the best interest of their client for their personal gain, the, Potential exists for that to happen. Whereas in a fee-based arrangement that are my. uh, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought, but my uh, are my values are aligned with the client. So when they make money, I make money. When they lose money, I don't make as much money. So I have a a vested interest in making sure that they do well.
0: So you you win when they win
2: at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly right
0: ron that's- i i i um i wanted to say something i um got to meet you in person about almost a month ago now i feel i feel i think um at the medicare con in memphis and you know you were speaking on an annuity panel mm-hmm. during the conference and i was on a clubhouse <laughs> that's the thing lately i was in clubhouse last <laughs> week and somebody <laughs> asked me i think it i somebody asked me they said um I think it was Tony. Tony Merwin asked me, he said, what was the, what, what did you take away from it the most? Cause he's like, he's like a lot of the stuff you heard, you probably heard before. I'm like a lot of it. Right. I mean, at the end of the day. And, um, but he's like, he's like, what, he's like, what were stuff you learned that you never heard before. And I specifically pointed to the annuity panel that you were on, like you guys did such an amazing job, but you in particular, like. I felt like you were really speaking to me in the audience. Like, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people felt like that, but like you made a statement and and it really struck home with me. Um, you're like, do you want to be just a Medicare supplement salesman? Or do you want to be a full-on retirement specialist? And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, that, but but that was kind of the, the, the consensus of it. And I feel like when I think about you, I think about somebody that really capitalizes, um, in being able to service the client in a multitude of different ways, um, to kind of make sure that you're, you're, you're protecting all the different risk that you can. Um, what, what was, was there any particular, um, I, I guess the question I'm trying to say is, was there any particular, um, person you talked to or anybody like that, that kind of showed you that that was possible that because that, there's so many agents that specialize in one thing and you do such a great job at you know being a true retirement expert it really spoke to me
2: yeah that kind of came from bankers life that's kind of their whole platform is you know you get the the kind of a holistic approach they don't really talk about it that way uh, their training is very basic so you use medicare to get in the door then this i'm kind of quoting from their book almost yeah. You, know, you use Medicare to get in the door and then you try to sell them long-term care and annuities. Um, but when I left there, I was still just trying to sell Medicare and I didn't sell uh, any long-term care or annuities while I was there. I was only I was probably only there six or eight months. But as I kind of started to evolve and mature in my Medicare practice, I knew that there was these other gaps that I had the capability to help people I just needed the knowledge and and the ability to and the tools to go out and and do it. So I just kind of took what they they laid the foundation for me and I just kind of built on it and and took it into a a kind of a package deal. So, um, you know, and that's part of my presentation is that I'm not just a Medicare supplement salesman. I'm your financial planner, financial advisor, holistic retirement planner. And we take all these four pillars of retirement and integrate them into one master plan. I love that.
1: Yeah, it reminds me a lot too, you mentioned bankers. It also sounds to me a lot like the Mutual of Omaha captive captive agents of yesteryear since they are essentially dying with the velociraptors. An extinction event has has been occurring. And I'm curious, Ron, what your thoughts are as it, it seems like, these captive, you know, and I could totally be wrong, but from my vantage point, it seems like captive agents are really dying. I mean, Mutual of Omaha. I remember at one point I was talking to someone up in fairly high up in the company, and they basically said that their ROI was insanely high com- captive compared to broker, so they were really focusing on on the brokers, and, and they re- they really stopped building out the captive side. That, that's what I heard last. Yep. So I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on this type of sales model as these captive agents seem to kind of be going away. Do you think this is something the broker side is going to lose? Is this kind of a, a dying philosophy? I'm a huge fan of it, by the way. I think what you're doing is genius. And I know other agents who approach it the same way. And I think you're, you're helping people more. Um, you're building a better relationship with your clients. And at the end of the day, you're gonna earn more money too. So I mean, really, I think that everyone wins when you approach it the way that you do.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it 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 has to go away just because there's so many Christian Brindles and, and Glenn Sheltons and Justin Brock's out there that are showing people the, you know, the independent world in such a, a, a more open and transparent way. Um, even they, they can't even compete with LOA shops that are independent, you know, and have multi carriers right. and multi lines. Right. And to, it's funny, I was talking to an, another, uh, former bankers agent that was with him for quite a few years. And, you know, his, he told me it was, it was very comfortable there. It was, it was nice. It's a good company. And it's all true. The problem was you, you only have one product to sell. Yeah. And you know, if you're, uh, as some of these new regulations come out, especially when you're talking about annuities and we're working with people's money. Um, in the even in the insurance world, take out the securities license, we're moving more and more towards a fiduciary standard. You know, where I'm duty bound by law to make recommendations that are in best interest of my client, regardless of what's best for me. And if you just have one brand and one product line in your portfolio that is not always going to be the product line that's in the best interest to your client what are you going to do about it are you going to tell them the truth and walk away or are you going to push them to buy what you have and so uh although these are good companies mutual omaha is a great company banker banker's life is a really good company but you just they just can't compete with with an independent model i feel like i feel like any
0: time i mean there's there's nothing in anything in life that's a one size fits all right there's like there's, there's like it's such a um foreign concept that like one thing is going to fit the needs of every single person it just doesn't work like that so i mean i've i've always wondered i mean i feel like for us internally for our sales in the office i feel like captive agents have become far less of a comp- competitive threat to us than they used to be. Not that they were ever really a threat, but like we just don't seem to bump into them as much with different yeah. carriers, and it just seems to get less and less. And I've always wondered how they really succeeded. <laughs> you well, know, with you, all that's the competition. The only
2: reason I left is I just couldn't compete on price. You know, yeah. I'm going around trying to sell a Plan J back in those days that cost almost twice as much as mutual of Omaha. You know, yeah. a, a big part of our pitch is, hey guys, it's apples to apples you know, plan J is a plan J. There's no difference. So why would you buy it for me when it costs twice as much?
1: Did, when you were at bankers, did you get one of those really cool like binders where they, where they were like, I had a, I had a family member who was at bankers and I remember he was showing me, he got these, he got like multiple binders. I don't know if it was like they were doing like a binder, like per product line, but it was like a presentation binder. So you could just like go through the binder and like flip page by page. And I just remember looking at that thing. I'm like, that is archaic. Like uh, if you if you have to show up with a binder and just like, it's like a PowerPoint, it's like a manual PowerPoint presentation. Yep.
2: Yeah, I remember I, I did, but I didn't get, they weren't like pretty presentations back then, but I kind of made up my own binder out of, out of that stuff. Yeah, I think I used PowerPoint to make the slides and then print them out. Yeah. Um, One
1: one question I have for you, Ron, at what point in the present, let's say it's a Medicare um, client or a Medicare transaction. At what point are you talking about the retirement piece of it? Is that something that's happening during the initial transaction or are you waiting until down the road and it's more of a follow-up discussion?
2: No, it has to happen right up front. So uh, although it can be done, I've never been really good at going back after the fact and, and getting that business. We mm-hmm. have to address it right up front. And that's where you kind of set yourself apart as a retirement planner and not a med sup salesman. Right. So we're, if we're going, when we're getting ready to do a fact finder, I'm sitting down with them for the first time. Although they have probably already met me before at a seminar um, because that's the way I market. That doesn't have to be though. I did it at Bankers Life. We literally cold call. There were no leads. It was just a list of 2065s. And so you sit down in front of them, you say, okay, folks here, this is what I do. We're here to figure out your Medicare, where to go, what plans, prices, A and B, Medicare Advantage. And the way we do that is um, I've got a whole bunch of questions here to ask you. And these questions deal in some different areas, but... What they do is they help me get a big picture view of who you are and what you expect. And then I'm going to make a good suitable recommendation to you based on your specific needs. And I kind of go through with, um, it starts with health. That's the most important. That's why we're here today. But along with that goes long-term care. You don't want to pay all your life savings out to a nursing home if you don't have to. Life insurance, we want to be able to pay our final expenses and pass along any wealth that you've accumulated in an appropriate manner. And lastly, it would be retirement income and social security planning so that you can live out your retirement years, enjoying the lifestyle that you used to without having to worry about running out of money or outliving your money. Brian, I have a question ask them, and then I get permission. Is that okay with you? If I ask those questions. And everybody, of course, says yes. And then we just go on from there. Ron, I, I had a question
0: for you. Um, let's say there's an agent watching this that's been selling Medicare for, I don't know, five years, right? That's all they know. That's what they're good at. Or maybe they, you know, someone, some type of question, is this you? <laughs> what if, what if I'm I, know a, a what if I not, know a guy? What if I know a guy?
1: It's not me. It's a friend.
0: <laughs> it's, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, let's say there's a guy who's on this show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, let, let's, but anyway, like let's say there's someone watching that Medicare is all they do. How would they go about adding annuities? Let's say they know nothing about it. Like, What's the best place to start?
2: Really, it's at a, at a good annuity FMO. Now, that's going to be a little bit tougher for somebody that's never sold any before because the, the bigger FMOs are not taking on a lot of brand new agents. Uh, they want to see some production, like maybe some kind of high production for some of them, three or $5 million. But you can find some smaller FMOs. The The main key is to make sure that they specialize in annuities and, and financial planning. You know, I've said it before that you don't necessarily want to get your annuities from your Medicare FMO. Probably don't want to get your Medicare from your annuities FMO. You know, you want them to specialize and then they can, those people can help you learn it. And, uh, but, you know, really, I think we said, talk about this on the panel at the Medicare con. If you start out trying to learn annuities and everything there is to know about them and all the technical inside calculations and how the contracts work and all the different indexing strategies and uh, market value adjustments. It's too much. And you know, you'll know you get analysis paralysis and you, you won't ever do anything. So the best thing to do, the best way to start learning it is go out and find a, a client that's a good candidate for one. And then you've got a case, you've got a real life case study to work on. So we have
1: someone, we have someone who asked a question. I want to read their question. How do you keep all of the moving? And it's kind of right in line with what you were saying there. How do you keep all of the moving parts, regulations and clients in check without making your head spin? Do you keep a small amount of companies in your portfolio? Um, And there's kind of another part to it. What is your strategy in making sure that your book of business does not die off in big chunks as they age? I'm assuming the answer to that second portion is you just don't stop selling. You just keep selling. So even if they die, yep. you got more clients. But yeah, I am curious. That's kind of what I think's kept kept me out because I initially, I interviewed at Waddell and Reed, and I was looking at becoming a financial advisor before I even got into the insurance side <laughs> of the business. And then I got into insurance, and then I got recruited by an agency that focused on annuities and 403B rollovers. So I like avoided it. And then through the life insurance side of the business, I kind of went down the road again, but I feel like that first part was kind of what kept me away from it is like the amount of regulations and it just felt higher risk. I, I think I was kind of scared myself, but I am, I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on that, Ron.
2: Say it's higher risk. Um, it it kind of depends on your perspective. I think if, no, I, I'm going to take that back. It's not really higher risk. Now, if you're doing securities too and you're doing assets under management and there's some money at risk in the market, then there's some risk, but it's the, it's the same concept as you, you kind of put that off on a third party. Like I'm not investing their money. That's the insurance company. All I'm doing is making a connection between the two. So I'm introducing the client to the insurance company. Now I've got some risk, some liability. I've got some responsibilities that I have to meet by making sure that that's a suitable sale and making sure that that client is right for that company and vice versa. But as long as I've done my due diligence, meaning I've done a fact finder, I know what their goals and objectives are. I know what their risk tolerance is. I made sure that they understand fully what they're getting into. They understand things like surrender charges, um, Surrender periods, uh, cap rates, participation rates, all these little things that can, if you don't explain them properly, come back to bite you. But as long as you're doing that, you're doing a good job, you're doing due diligence, it's it's no different than selling a Medicare supplement.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it was, I was really young too. So I think part of it was I felt like me trying to approach someone that was two to three times my age and saying, Hey, let me help you invest that money. I think that kind of scared me um, at the time, but uh, I guess the other part of that question is, you know, how many companies do you have a lot of different companies that you broker, or do you try to keep it in kind of a smaller group? So it's easier to manage.
2: I try to keep it small. I've got, you know, a couple of carriers or a couple of products for each particular situation, but that changes Gosh, almost daily. You know, a company will change their rates or lower their rates or introduce a new product. Um, So that's where I really rely on the FMOs to guide me there. So I almost never write a case without checking with my marketer first, just to make sure. Because I, there's no way I could keep up with that. That's their job. To say, hey, um, Security Benefit lowered their rates yesterday. Well, I'm not gonna write an app on them today. So I need to I need to check with them. So you've got to really lean on those people. It's not like Medicare supplements. I mean, nothing changes with Medicare. Right? So the, the, we're not calling our marketers every day.
0: Right. And so, even though the commercials want you to think that there's changes every day.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh shoot, did I let the cat out of the bag?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great point though. I mean, because like with MedSup, there's such little volatility in terms of like changes across the market sphere. But like with annuities, if it's if it's something to where, you know, you could wake up today and it could be a certain way and then wake up tomorrow is gonna be completely different. Um, I can see where having that marketer, you know, in your corner is gonna be invaluable.
2: Yep. You know, and they might see something that you don't like, uh, you know, if we're doing a, a, say an asset transfer play, instead of just a strictly an income play, like, you know, the person's a little bit older, they don't need this money. They want to leave it onto their kids. So that would be a different product um, that would work better for them when they die, as far as transferring those assets in a more advantageous manner, or if it's a, an income play, then we don't want to use a, an asset transfer design product we want to use an income product but it's you just need a couple that you're aware of and then always run it through somebody just to make sure that it's still a good choice
1: is it does it ever come to the like it sounds so i i know some agents who kind of will approach this almost as estate planning is that kind of Close to where this retirement planning can go as well, where you're. That's looking one to use. Everything, yep. yeah. That,
2: that's one use. So that it's not only do you want to keep your money and make sure you don't run out, but if you've got some left or you've got some that you want to pass on, right. we need to make sure that that's done properly.
0: Makes sense. Makes yep. sense. I mean, whatever their needs are, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Whatever needs. So that's part of the. Part of the questions on the fact finder is, what do you need this money for? You know, and that's, anytime an agent asks me, you know, what what annuity is best, you know, the, I come back immediately with what what's the purpose of the money? Right. Is it yeah. to live on or to pass on? That's the first question. Because if they need the money, we don't want to tie it up in a 14 year annuity, right? Right. But if they don't need it, they want to pass it on to their kids, or the church or whoever they're leaving it to, then we've got more options.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. We got, we got a couple other questions on here. I wanted to come and read off. Um, So Mike, Mike Gillum posted a comment that I, I think is really true. (laughs) Um, He said that he was talking, when we were talking, when you guys were talking about risk, in the annuity sales, he says, there's more risk in MA than there is annuities. I think that's pretty spot on. I don't know what you think about that, Ron, but I think
2: so. Well, considering you can't lose any money to the market in annuities, but you can lose 7,500 bucks at the oncology center. Yeah. You know, with a Medicare Advantage (laughs) plan, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I hear a lot of, uh, not a lot, but I've heard some of the bigger financial advisors, the big national guys that are on the radio advising people to get Medicare Advantage plans. And, uh, you know, it's just a gamble either way. Right. One way you're gambling that you're not going to get sick and the other way you're gambling that you are. So, you know, it's, it's, it all, everything that we do goes down to risk. That's what insurance is. It's a transfer of risk. Right. So how, you know, I've got plenty of clients that have, you know, high deductible F's and, uh, haven't had an opportunity to sell a high deductible G yet, but I've got lots of high deductible F's on the books because I've got affluent people that, well, they can afford twenty three hundred bucks a couple of times in their lifetime.
0: Yeah,
1: there's. Uh, I remember when I was again earlier in my career, there was a story of this agent in California that went to jail over selling an annuity because of suitability. Um, are you familiar with that story, Ron?
2: No, I'm not familiar with that case, but so there, you know, there's two different, two different ways to get in trouble. There's, there's yeah. civilly and there's criminally. So if he went to jail, he, he was committing you know cri- criminal behavior by defrauding people.
1: It, and it absolutely what, like once the story came out, like he was definitely, I mean, again, no different than any other insurance, you know, line of insurance. Right. I mean, there's people who just, push policies and and they're not doing anything to help the client at all um, but it was one of those stories where like it was kind of clickbaity where that headline was sensationalized and yeah. insurance agent goes to jail over annuity and, and and I felt like there was a lot of fear behind it and so yeah I would love to to kind of help bring this wall down because I think I think there are a lot of agents kind of like you know again how I was early in my career where very fearful of of people presenting their money to me and this idea that you know i'm responsible for hundreds of thousands of dollars of someone else's money you know
2: yeah you know i think if you're a good person you want to do the right thing and not break the law and not defraud people and not cheat people it's real simple you just ask yourself should i be doing this you know And if you find yourself in a situation where you're asking yourself, should I be doing this? Don't do it because it's probably wrong. Yep. Uh, Pretty much. I don't know know
1: what else to say. (laughs) I I had
2: an old narcotics officer teach me that a long time ago. Said if you ask yourself, should I be doing this? Don't do it because it's probably wrong.
0: Ron, um, I have a different kind of question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any things you any were there any lessons you can look back on that maybe you learned working in the police force that you think have helped you as an agent?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I always thought when I got into insurance that my uh, my my people skills as a police officer would help me, and they they did because I can take a lot of abuse. Right. So I can sympathize with <laughs> you there. <laughs> I just don't care. Uh, you know, it's not the first time I've been screamed at or spat on or called bad names, but nobody's ever spit on me in insurance though, but <laughs> I'm sure they will at yeah. some point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Give it time. Right. <laughs> and so I'm, I have the ability not to take it personal where that's a big thing that um in new agents um, have a problem especially phone agents i think you know if you're dialing leads all day long no matter how good those leads are somebody's going to hang up on you and somebody's going to cuss at you and you've got to get past it you've got to be able to not take it personal you know it's like uh you remember the movie roadhouse mm-hmm. where, where they're talking in the bar there and the guy says well yeah well what if he calls my mom uh, and what does Dalton say? He says, "Is she? <laughs> <laughs> so if she's not, hang up and move to the next call." Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: yeah, for
2: sure. You
0: know, like I, I remember, I remember early on as a new agent, I used to get so mad at people. Like when I was like 21, 22, something like that. Like I remember my old cold call list. I was cold calling for Med Sup compliance police um, <laughs> but but like i would call i would have this cold call list and you'd go through and you'd see all these like obscenities written on the cold call list next to people's names because <laughs> i'd get all mad and i'd write and I, in the moment i'd be like there, oh, there are there you know what i mean and um yeah. like the older i've gotten it's just exactly that you know it's that it is it it happens to everybody Um, it, has it's, it, it really has nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? You just caught them at a bad moment or a bad time or whatever the case might be. And like the business is so much a roller coaster, right? You get super high, you get super low, but if you just keep your, your emotions level like that, you're you're never going to throw yourself out of whack. But yeah, I, I, I remember as a young age and I would get really upset with people. And that's a lesson that I, I finally learned, but it took, probably took me too
2: long. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, we have a a saying in law enforcement that says, we'll let them have the last word because we have the last act. So it doesn't exactly translate to insurance, but it does. If you just kind of let people vent, especially when you're dealing with customer service, not necessarily prospecting, but customer service, you know, people, man, people get mad. We had one today. Uh, I could hear my assistant talking on the phone and uh, last week, I'd sent out a letter in the mail to my whole list, all my clients and old leads and everybody, um, launching my home healthcare company. And I heard a lady in there, and I could hear Betty on the phone, kind of getting flustered because the lady was mad about why'd you send me this letter? I'm I'm not your client. And so she hung up and came and told me and gave me the message I'm like, yes, she's been our client for like five years. <laughs> And uh, so I called her up and I'm like, in my mind, I'm going to set her straight. I'm going to tell her, you know, you're my client. Just because you ignore me every fall doesn't mean I'm not your agent. But by the time I dialed the number, I'd already, you know, brought that under control and explained to her, yes, I'm your, you're my client. I'm your agent. I have your Aetna policy. And by the way, it's costing you way too much. It's time to change that. So we we wrote her a new meds up this afternoon. I, you know, after she was mad, still doesn't know who I who I am.
1: <laughs> so yeah,
2: happened to us have, too today.
1: I have a question for you, Ron. So if I'm talking to a Medicare agent, uh, the chance of them selling over the phone versus face to face, I'd say it's almost close to a coin toss these days. If anything, it probably leans towards selling over the phone, especially with everything from the pandemic Um, and I know a fair amount of agents who are writing annuities with their Medicare clients, but it seems like almost exclusively minus a few selective individuals, almost everyone's doing it face to face. Could you speak to telephonic enrollment of annuities or financial products? Is that something where you think it is significantly more difficult or is it, again, is this kind of more of an agent mindset?
2: I think it's a mindset thing. You know, um. I it's just and I say this with you guys knowing that I sell face to face, but it can be done over the phone, and it should be done over the phone if you're a phone agent. There's no reason you should not be their retirement planner, and not just their med sup telemarketer, right? Yep. There's no regulations that prohibit it. You um, it just have to work a little bit more on building that relationship. But that again, starts right in the beginning. So you have to have a reason to have been calling them in the first place, which you do. They responded to a lead somewhere and you have to set them up from the beginning. I'm not just a Medicare supplement salesman, I'm a retirement planner, holistic retirement planner. And this is what I do. And I'm gonna ask you a whole bunch of questions. This is why I'm gonna ask you these questions to make sure that I'm making a suitable recommendation on your Medicare supplement. And so I get pushback from agents about, well, I'm selling Medicare. Why do I need to know about their income and their social security and their IRAs? Because you have to make sure that they can afford what you're selling them. Your state has suitability regulations, whether you know it or believe it or not. You can't just sell them a Medicare supplement without making sure that it's suitable. Right. I mean, you guys disagree with me on that?
1: Mm -mm. No, not at all.
2: Right, so that's where all, most Medicare agents, especially phone agents, I think fall short is they're so transactional that it their due diligence consists of what's your gender and what's your zip code,
1: yeah, do you smoke? yeah, yeah. yeah. and especially <laughs> during AD, that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, I, I would pretty much build, you know, when I was selling life insurance, I pretty much built the fiduciary duty part of it into my presentation because I wanted them to understand like, hey, not only my license by the state, if I'm doing something like purposely overinsuring people, people, um, obviously like that violates my fiduciary duty. I'm doing something to benefit myself that's no longer benefiting you. And, and right. yeah, I mean, absolutely. It doesn't matter what insurance like, you're you're going to be beholden to that, regardless of what line
2: of insurance you're selling. Yeah. So not only can you, but should you, but these agents that tell me, oh, you can't sell annuities over the phone because people don't trust you. That's not true either. Because before Zoom and, you know, screen sharing tools, whatever we use before Zoom, Jordan Belfort, yeah. yeah, he didn't meet anybody face to face. They were a telemarketing shop, yep. and they sold billions of dollars worth of securities over the phone with yep. a script, with people who he admits were not smart. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, he went to prison, right? But that's. <laughs> <laughs> he that's. He- the- <laughs> He used his very, very good selling system to, to go just a little bit too far and, and entice people to buy things they shouldn't have been buying. But that has nothing to do with his sales skills. He's probably too good.
0: I think that comes back to what you were saying earlier though, right? Like you you ask yourself, should I be doing this right now? Or is this the best thing for that person? It doesn't necessarily mean that like the sales system was flawed. It's more so the right. intention of it.
2: Right, that's the integrity of the person. If if you're a good person, you're going to do good things. If you're a bad person, you're going to do bad things, right? And that's why insurance insurance companies check credit histories. They check for bankruptcies, you know. And yep. actually, you know, police departments check credit histories. If you've got money problems, you're statistically more likely to do bad things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not this I hate to say like paint people with bad credit history as bad people because that's <laughs> not the case. but you know what if you've got um, somebody that should be buying a Medicare supplement and you're putting them into a, an HMO because you get paid a little bit more yeah you know and you've got it you've got the collections people calling you yeah. Yeah. You know, which? What are you going to do? Are you going to make two hundred and fifty bucks or five hundred and ten? Was that a suitable sale? Probably, but it was it the best thing for your client? No, probably, probably
1: not. not. Yeah. I I think as I'm as we're kind of talking through this, I think one of the biggest misses that most of these agents, especially like the the telephonic agents. My guess would be, it comes down to that fact finder, Ron, Mm -hmm. because I got trained on fact finders early on and the few annuities I did sell, again, it was really, it really came down to that fact, you're going through, oh, Mr. Jones, you said you had 350,000 sitting in a savings account. Yeah, I do. And I'm only getting half a percent on it and it sucks. I hate Wells Fargo. Like, I remember it, one the one of these annuity sales I did. It was just like the easiest thing ever. It really was like he was upset with his return, the money he didn't necessarily need right away. Like it was just sitting there, not earning him any interest. So I'm curious to know, like, do you is, is your fact finder really long? Is it a custom fact finder? Did you steal someone else's fact finder and kind of make your own?
2: Yes. Uh, so I didn't make any of this stuff up. Somebody gave me everything. You know, I, I got everything I have came from other people. And I've just taken all the best parts of everybody's stuff and put it together. That's why, man, I'm so big on going to conferences and buying courses. I, I'm completely addicted to buying online courses. Me
0: too. Yeah,
2: me I'm too. Paid, <laughs> I bought everything that Justin Brock's ever put out. I'm not buying any more though, Justin. So don't <laughs> you know, and, and not only in insurance, not only these insurance guys that that do it, but you know, I used to I went to 10X growth, I've been to traffic and conversion. Those I just I'm just addicted to learning things right. and taking the the nuggets out of it and putting them into my process. Is it you no
1: know, is it a long it. fact finder? Because I've seen oh, yeah. I've seen fact finders that are like 10 pages. Like I've seen some yeah. backfinders that so, are ridiculous.
2: I actually have two. So the first one is what I use on the Medicare sale. It's, it's four pages. It's health, life, long-term care, and money. Okay. And so that's what I use to gather the information to make the Medicare sale. Now after I make the Medicare sale, now we're moving on to the second appointment. So that goes like, okay, we've got you set up with your Medicare supplement, we've got your plan G, we've got your prescription drug plan, cancer, heart attack, dental, home health, you bought the gold package, you got everything. Now you mentioned here that you've got this 401k, you need to roll it over because you retired last year, let's set a second appointment next week and we'll go over that, you bring in your statements and I'll give you an analysis and, and see what we can do on that. And at that point, the second appointment for the money, there's another fact finder that comes out that's a much more detailed financial inventory. It's you know, it's, it's probably two. You know, I've got a couple of those, but probably a good two three pages just inventory, getting all their their budget, their expenses, their income, right. all their accounts. Do they have a will? Do they have uh, trust? Do they uh, who's doing their taxes? All that everything.
0: Ron, um, speaking about online courses, mm-hmm. cause I, 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 love that conversation. <laughs> I've, I've probably spent, I don't know, five to 10 grand in the last year or so on online courses. Like I, I'm, I'm a big believer in them too. I buy them like crazy. I've bought a lot of Justin's too. I haven't bought them all, but I've bought a lot of them. Um, so is there one online course that jumps out to you that you recommend? And I want to talk about yours, by the way. So I'm not. I'm, so I want. I want to get back to that in a second there. But is there yeah. a, a course you bought from someone else that yep. you highly, highly recommend to someone in there's, the insurance industry? one.
2: I tell you, and um, I've told him the same thing. There's one that changed my life, and that is Justin Brock's bundling course. Me too. Me too. Just, I, oh my it was gosh, it was so worth every seven dollars. Sixty-seven dollars for that class, and I probably made an extra. in income that year.
0: Crazy. (laughs) That's nuts.
2: And I don't even want to go back and do the math on what I would have made if I was bundling from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just because he made it so simple to do instead of it's not a cross sell. Right. So you're not you're not cross selling anything. You're just this is the package. Which one do you want? So I don't. uh I don't don't do the, would you like fries with that? You know, hey, by the way, you want dental with that? No, because that's what they're going to say 30% of the time. You know, it's A, B, or C. Bundle A, bundle B, bundle C. Which one do you want? And the bundle C, the smallest one, it's got four policies, right? I always knew about cross-selling cancer and cross-selling dental and vision, but I never did it, and I was always afraid to ask for too much same hang up that agents have with the fact finder. You're afraid if you ask for too much it's going to blow your deal and you're going to lose the Medicare sale. Yep. But just doesn't yeah. happen. The reason agents don't ask for ask the questions in the fact finders, they're be, they're afraid that they're somehow going to offend the client by asking about their IRAs and they're going to get up and walk out. But guess what? It doesn't happen. But that's one that changed changed my life. Income
0: I, ones. I, I, I could not believe it was cheap as cheap as it was, you know, when I went through it, I'm like, this is, this is gold. I'm like, this yeah. is insane. Um, Ron, I, I want to talk to you about your course though, because mm-hmm. you have a course that teaches people how to cross sell annuities, right? Um, talk about it. Like what, what can people expect to learn from that course and, mm-hmm. and where can people find it?
1: Yeah. So I was going to say, where can people find it?
2: Yeah. So, um, it's a live course so I don't just have it out there for purchase all the time. Okay. And, uh, because I actually teach it live every week and you do get access to all the recordings and everything. And they're, they're on the, the site, but I don't like to just keep it live because somebody might buy it and then I'm not teaching another class for, you know, several months and, and they get, they fall through the cracks, but I want to be promoting it, um, here sometime between now and, and 8% nation again. But the class is just exactly what we've been talking about, how to move from being a Medicare supplement transactional salesperson to being a holistic retirement planner. And the the backdrop is cross-selling annuities, but you could replace annuity with IUL or long-term care, or, you know, whatever you want to put in there.
1: I- Oh go ahead. Sorry, Glenn. Oh, go ahead, Christian. Ladies I, first.
0: I I wanted to just tell read a couple comments to you. Um, Justin Brock said he's gonna go broke because you're not gonna buy his courses anymore. <laughs> and um, and and Matt Temin wants to know how he can become a big baller like you. Oh, I guess Those you
2: have
1: to t- you have to become yeah, a he's cop- on his way
2: because he's doing seminars now. He got off the phone. Yeah, yeah. he's doing a seminar, so uh that's a big thing. If you can sell it. You can do everything that we're doing over the phone, but if you can start that relationship out uh, in person, like at a seminar, it's it's, it's so much better. It's such a much better relationship. And I, I want to want you guys to know that in the annuity world, I'm I'm small, right? If if I'm writing, you know, three, four, five, seven million a year just off my Medicare business, that's nothing in the annuity world. Okay, so a big producer, a big shop, a big individual producer in in, in the annuity world is, you know, 40, 50, 100 million a year in annuities. But what are they doing for marketing? You know, they're they're doing seminars and radio and television. So they've got a radio show every Saturday for an hour. you know, and that's uh, that they're spending big, big bucks on marketing. Uh, just like everything, there's a there's a return. They're making that money back in droves. Right. Um, but there's they're spending a lot of money. They've got big operations, and they're they're doing a lot. So, I um, don't want to sit here and pretend like I'm this big baller in the annuity world because I'm not. But as far as a, a guy who just writes as Medicare clients and doesn't do any med, uh, annuity specific marketing, they do pretty good.
1: And, that's, and and that alone puts you in a category of probably less than 5%, I would say, of, of Medicare agents who mm-hmm. are actively pursuing financial products with their clients. Um, it seems pretty rare. I talk to agents all the time about this because I, I think it makes all the sense in the world to approach it like you do. Um, but it seems like most agents don't do it. And I think it is, I think a lot of them are fearful that they're going to lose that Medicare sale. Um, the question I had for you though, Ron, I, so on the life insurance side of the business, I came across this objection on a relatively regular basis where, whether I'm sitting down with someone or I was talking to them on the phone, you know, uh, Oh, I'm going to need to talk to my financial advisor. So I'm curious how many times maybe that's come up. Maybe on you're on that second appointment. Is there ever a barrier there where there's someone else that is not, I don't even know if competitive is the right word, but there's another, another person that's kind of in the mix. Almost always.
2: yeah. So- the the reason that that comes up is that you haven't driven a big enough wedge between them, right? So I've got to be able to destroy whatever that other aid, that other advisor is doing. Right. So I've got to have the tools to say, okay, and it's it's a little bit more difficult if you're insurance only and you don't have a securities license, but you know, make no mistake about it, you can do it. You've got to say, okay, first of all, in the fact finder, I'm finding out what are they worried about. Are they worried about safety? Do they want to protect their principal? Do they want to avoid probate? Do they want income they can't outlive? Okay, these are the four things, Mr. Smith, that you've told me you want. This basket of mutual funds you have over here doesn't do any of that for you. Okay. Yep. And by the way, that that's all in equities and it's 100% at risk. Are you okay with that? Yep. So you've got to drive that wedge in between them and their other advisor and the other products that they have. The only way you can do that is by asking those questions to find out what their pain points are. Now, in the event that I haven't done that and I give them my pitch and I haven't done a good enough job of of wedging, then I'll usually say something like, well, what do you think your other advisor is gonna say? When you go and tell them ron ray said buy an annuity what do you think they're going to tell you they're gonna they're gonna say don't do it annuities are a scam ron's a jerk yeah
1: they're gonna say they're uh, gonna they're what,
2: gonna try they're gonna try to
0: talk them out of it so, say,
1: have you have you watched dave ramsey do you really want to <laughs> buy an annuity
2: <laughs> good old dave yep. yeah. <laughs> so then I'll I'll just kind of go back and circle back just like straight line persuasion, circle back and find out, okay, what's concerning them? Because the only reason they're saying that is because they don't believe me yet. So I've got to go back and backtrack and figure out where did we get off the line? What concern have I not yet addressed? A good way that, that I do to do that is just, okay, what are your concerns? When anybody tells me I have to go home and think about it, say, so, okay, what are your concerns? What's, what's, what's concerning you about this? And they'll usually tell me. Because if they say, oh, nothing, we'll say, okay, well, let's do it. What do you have to think about? Yeah, something's, something's concerning them. They don't trust me yet. They don't believe me yet. There's something wrong. So I have to ask them before they leave. Because if they leave and call their advisor, I'm dead because he is going to tell them, don't do it. That's a stupid thing to do. Don't do it, which is another good reason to get a a series 65, because you can get that person out of the way completely. Because with insurance only, you can only get part of the money, right? You can't always put, you can't ever put all their money into an annuity. So you have to leave a portion of their money with their old advisor, who for the next 10 years is going to be telling them what a stupid mistake they made. And so since I've got the series 65, I've not had a, free look, a chargeback, anything. Because I get all the money. It makes transfers easier. It's great. And I collect fees on that service as well. More recurring income just like the med subs.
1: Yeah, that was going to be another question I had that you just answered was kind of how to how to leverage that. That's perfect. That makes all the sense in the world. And you're absolutely yeah. right. Anytime that objection came up where oh before I buy this, I need to talk to my financial advisor. I never heard. By, you, I never heard back from any any of those. Clients. <laughs> you never, will.
2: You never will. I love it when I see like uh, um, American funds, you know, because those are all always A class shares, front end loaded. You know, four or five percent front end loads. So I can just you can eh, you got to be careful if you have an insurance license, but you can just pull it up on on Google Finance or Yahoo Finance and just pull up a fund and show them. So here I'm going You can you can Google it and see what the loads are on that fund.
1: So Mike had a question. He said, "If I get my sixty-five, is there anything hindering me from doing business the way you know I currently do? Um, which I'm assuming is, you know, again, he's doing everything telephonically,
0: cold calling, and
1: yeah,
2: nope, nothing at all.
1: Yeah, there you go, Mike. There get you it, go. <laughs> <Get it. laughs> what I are you waiting for, you
2: guys? Don't take my word for it, as I've told you many times. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you'll believe Christian and Glenn. <laughs> 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 hey, so I want to go to Dave Ramsey since y'all brought him up.
1: Yes, please. I would love to. Oh, yes. To that was a huge objection for me. Anytime I tried to bring an annuity up, especially with the senior clientele, Dave Ramsey always came out of their mouth so fast.
2: So Dave Ramsey has a bad rep with insurance agents, but let me why, tell you why you should love Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey tells people you have to buy life insurance, you have to buy health insurance, you have to buy disability insurance, and you have to buy long-term care insurance, and you have to invest in the stock market for the long term. And by the way, you should hire an advisor and agent to help you do all of those things. Okay, you only have to give up one product, and that's Cash value life insurance. Okay, so if you are into health insurance, disability, long term care, um, investing, Dave Ramsey is your best friend because <laughs> his his fans do what he says to do, and he speaks to thirteen million people a year. So, what if I got to give up whole life insurance? Who cares? I'll take the other ones.
1: I thought I thought Dave was. Um, very much so against annuities doesn't he speak out against annuities
2: not really not specifically not like he does life insurance yeah Now, what he says to do with investing is you know invest in stock market in stock mutual funds mutual funds yeah mutual funds you know long term which is fine with me we can do that too sure
1: I I'm I honestly haven't listened to a ton of him, but I just remember specifically this one older client I had where I was trying to bring up annuities and she was just like, nope, 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 nope. She's like, Dave said not to. I'm not doing it. That's a <laughs> horrible investment. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. I'm like, I'm not going not gonna to fight no you on Dave Ramsey right now. Like not going down that rabbit hole.
2: That's what I love about the model we've built here is we've got something for everybody. Yeah. Somebody doesn't like Medicare Advantage, hey, no problem. We got MedSeps. Somebody doesn't like um, whole life insurance, hey, I got term, no problem.
1: I think, yeah, I think the other thing too that you do, like, because you have that 65, you can move them into something that is a variable product, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So that was, again, when I was, when I kind of dabbled in this space as an agent, there were, I would come across some of these prospects where they wanted something that had more risk. And I was trying so hard to pitch against the risk. Like, you don't want to lose your money. This is for retirement. Like, what are you saying? And I could never capture them. So I think that alone, being able to take care of that person that wants the risk or they have a higher tolerance for risk, that alone makes all the sense in the world.
2: Yeah, so let's address that for a second. Yeah. Even if you don't have a securities license, you don't have to argue against risk, right? You can say, let's take a balanced approach. Your Edward Jones guy doesn't have annuities because they don't get paid fees on them, right? Right. Uh, So he's not able to do everything that you should be doing, right? He's not, your Edward Jones guy is not able to take a balanced approach to your retirement planning, All of your money is in the stock market. It's 100% at risk. Yeah, he might have you set up in a 60-40 allocation or something where you got 60% stocks and 40% bonds. How'd those bonds do last year? Not very good, right? So why don't we take the amount of money that you have in the bonds, the 40%, and go and find a bond alternative. And that bond alternative happens to be an annuity.
1: What did bonds do last year? Like one point something, like less bonds than 2%? it up,
2: especially, you know, the funds for, you know, uh, a while. You know, last year when when uh, rates were dropping, they probably came back a little bit. But, you know, a couple of years ago when we had those high interest rates, you know, 10 years spiked up to 3%. That was a bad year for bonds. You know, we had 2018, at the end of 2018, when the market crashed during Christmas Eve, Um, bonds went up and and you know that takes your bond portfolios down and and people lost or they saw their you know accounts drop and then this year when the pandemic hit bonds were affected too because something that happened with Russia and Saudi Arabia over oil and and companies, you know, shutting down, uh, you know, that doesn't help the credit rating of big companies, you know, when they have to shut down and send everybody home. So you get a double hit, that that 40% safe haven that you had didn't perform well either. Which in a traditional recession, that's what you want. You want to take your money out of the stock market and put it into, into safety in the bonds. But we're not in that kind of world anymore. With interest rates at you know near zero. And projected to stay there for the next 20 years, they might go up a percent or two. You know, have a variance of two or three percent, but they're not going up to rates like we had in the in the 80s. You know, double digit rates. But that environment's never coming back. So, what if we take that money that's intended for safety anyway, right? And what if we go find an alternative that gave you the safety and a reasonable rate of return? And so we're we're keeping that balanced approach, right? A balanced portfolio of sixty forty. Yeah, let let Edward Jones keep the stocks, but let me let me do the safe side. Yeah, Ron, take I'll
1: my like money.
2: It. Yeah, I like I'm, it.
1: Ready, I'm ready to invest yeah. in Ron. I'll, I'll take eat. all that
2: Robin Hood money you made this year. You, do, do you
0: right. take do you take Visa or Mastercard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's awesome.
0: How do, yeah, how so do we... I transfer all oh, my good, Robinhood family. money out? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's really a balanced approach. You know, you can't get too extreme one way or the other. I think that turns people off. I've even had to start, you know, loving on Medicare Advantage a little bit more because, yep. uh, you know, the writing's on the wall yep. in, in that area that that's not going away.
0: What do, yeah. What do you think about um a person that I'm sure everyone on this call knows who I'm referencing? I won't say any names or anything like that, but who's he's, he's all of our best friends who puts out all these anti-Medicare advantage videos. Like, I don't I'm like you're, I mean, I, I just, I just, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I agree with you. I think the writing's on the wall. Like I read an article in the last six months that said as of 2020 for every one med sup that's being bought, it's like five or six MAs. Like at this point, I, I don't know. I just don't, I, I don't see the long-term stability of, bashing the advantage plans i just don't get it
2: especially if if i'm able to close close that out-of-pocket gap with other products it's hard to argue against them these days as networks get better and as they add more benefits it's going to get harder and harder yeah you know if i can if i can sell a cancer plan or a hospital indemnity plan that that takes away you know a lot of their risk not all of it but a lot of it and you know that maybe instead of a hundred and twenty dollars a month for a med sup, they're paying sixty five for a hip plan. You know, I don't know. It's it's hard. It, luckily, we're in a not not it's not really a rural area. It's hundred thousand people now, but our networks still aren't quite as strong as they are in the city. So we do still have some network problems that people know about. And, you know, out of our two hospital systems, we'll lose one from one network from time to time. And that always makes the paper, Hey, this hospital over here, they, they dropped humanity. So people know about that stuff and it helps. It helps the argument. Yeah. But um, and the give back plans, you know, they help because they, they free up money to buy other things. I think If the government doesn't do something to mess it up, which they might, you know, the the (laughs) Obama administration wanted (laughs) to get away from it. The Obama administration was trying to get away from Medicare Advantage. The Trump administration was getting back to it, you know, wanting to privatize it. And we'll see, we'll see where it goes. I, I think the extreme, the extremists are in charge and I don't know what they're gonna do. I'm not sure they know what they're gonna do either, but um, it'll play out here in the next three years, won't it?
1: Yeah, time time yeah, will happens. tell. I think we're I think we're going to see. You know, Chris and I actually spent I think we pretty much spent a whole episode talking about what happens if they were to lower the Medicare age to sixty.
0: Yeah.
1: Or you know, I've heard three. Yeah, I've heard three different. It was like sixty. I don't know, sixty three, sixty two, and then sixty fifty five. I mean, I've heard all these different ages thrown around. But yeah, I think that's I think that's a very real possibility.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the easiest way for them to get their agenda through, is to just do it incrementally.
1: Mm-hmm. If
2: they wanted a single payer system, that's that's the way it would have to be done is incrementally, right? It's like minimum wage. You can't raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars at one time. It would right. be incrementally over you know ten years. Yep. because it would kill the economy. Not that they're opposed to doing that, as we witnessed last year. Yeah. But, <laughs> and I don't. I didn't mean to go political, but. I mean, that's something that's on everybody's mind, isn't it? Oh, you know, course. What's gonna happen to I
1: mean, med- Medicare is it. it is political. I mean, so, it's
0: like I I've I put out a couple everything Medicare podcast episodes the last year or so that have kind of gotten a little political. And like I got an email from a guy the other day that was like, I really wish you'd leave the politics out of it. I, I don't you're not CNN. You're not Fox. I don't I don't come to you for my news. And I'm like, how can I, I do that and tell you the whole story? when we're right. dealing with government regulated yeah. insurance, like what yeah. happens politically impacts what I'm talking about sometimes.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. It has to be discussed. Uh, and, you point. know, it's,
2: it's hard sometimes to keep your personal feelings from <laughs> at least showing through a little bit. Like I'm sure you just kind of picked up on which side I lean to. And, but I mean, we're, we're humans, right? It's okay to have political thoughts and, and, yeah uh, we're not robots way or the other I had a client I, that got mad at me because I called ACA Obamacare <laughs> <laughs> was, you say that like it's a bad thing I'm like he calls it Obamacare yeah. <laughs> that's <what> people say <laughs>
0: that's, that's yeah. what I, I still use that term but I'm in, in Utah I don't know I don't get that I don't get any much pushback on it I feel I don't think there's yeah. a lot of Obama love here
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know it's We'll just go see. I, I tend not to react to things like that until it's real. Yeah. You know, uh, people ask me all the time, you know, what's going to happen? You know, what's Biden going to do with taxes? And is he going to steal our 401ks? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not going to do anything about it just yet because it's not real. When it's real, then it's real and we'll do something about it. Now, it doesn't mean that that's not a good marketing point. Right. People are concerned about this and you should use that to your advantage in in getting in front of people.
1: hundred percent.
2: So we we had a, a campaign here in our office uh, last month in February to call people post AEP, even in February, just to check on, make sure, hey, did you get your ID cards? we want to make sure everything was set up. Did it, you know, your Social Security withdrawal change? And by the way, hey, we've been talking to our clients, quite a few of them expressed concern about the new administration, what's going to happen with taxes. Is that something that concerns you? If so, why don't you come in, and let Ron talk about it. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with using that as a conversation starter. I wouldn't use it as a sales tool. You know, I don't like to use fear as a sales tool, but it doesn't hurt to use a little bit of fear and a little bit of apprehension to, to just start a conversation.
1: I totally agree. Ron, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a really, really interesting topic. And I think this is something that does not get talked about nearly enough. And I, and something like your live class sounds like such a perfect fit for Medicare agents. Um, I think that's awesome. So where, if someone wanted to, to enroll in your live class, where would they go to do that?
2: Yeah, there's no way to do it right now. Um, so I always take that down, but you can. Um, Should they just keep an eye on your Facebook just, page? Just what's, keep an eye the... on it. I'll be promoting it um, here pretty soon and doing some, some stuff with Cody Askins too. Okay. Promoting that class and promoting some other things that I'm doing. Cool. So just keep an eye out. Um, it'll be worth the wait.
1: Yeah
0: sounds good hey Uh, let me know when you're going to we'll do a video together and you know pump it up a little bit if you want
1: i would would be more than yeah anything surrounding that topic i'd be more than happy to share out i i just again i think this is such an underserved segment for medicare agents and and agents in general they just don't know what they don't know so yeah absolutely ron yep so we would like to do final thoughts christian
0: I was, I, was, I was actually going in the same place. I was like, uh, final thoughts. Yeah. So Ron, any, um, any, any, any final thoughts, any last thoughts on, on, on a topic like this to kind of close out the
2: episode? Yeah, I think, you know, m- most agents won't do this out of fear that they're going to mess it up or that by asking for more, they're going to get a no. And I just want you to know that that's not the case. It doesn't happen. They might say no, but you're not going to blow the rest of your deal up by doing it. If you set them up the right way. Now, if you if you try to pull some kind of bait and switch where you call them up about Medicare and, you know, switch to an annuity without, you know, setting them up properly and actually, you know, faithfully selling the Medicare, then you can have problems. But if you're doing the right thing, they know that they can see, they can see through it if you're not doing the right thing. So if you're doing the right thing, it's not going to hurt to just start adding things to your portfolio and adding things to your repertoire and, and becoming a more well-rounded advisor. I like
0: that. Um,
1: yeah. Glenn, final thoughts. Uh, I think, you know, guys, I think if you don't, if you don't approach it the way Ron does, I think your clients will probably come across someone who will approach it the way Ron does. So if you're not willing to help them on the financial side, you're really opening yourself up to a bigger liability of losing that client overall. Even if you were just trying to keep them on the books as a Medicare client, because someone could come along that they talk to about their retirement, about financial products, who does handle the Medicare as well. And now the client's gone. So I think, you know, rather than looking at it from the commission angle or, ah, it's a whole nother product policy, I could lose my Medicare sale. I think you really need to keep in mind that you can help more people. Um, you can also at the same time, earn more money and you're also going to keep that client on the books longer and, and most likely they'll be even happier because you're able to help them in, in multiple ways. So, This was one of my favorite episodes we've done, Christian. I I think the information was just invaluable, and I hope more agents approach the business the way Ron does. I really do.
0: Yeah, um, I I second that. You know, I mean, this was an episode that I was looking forward to doing. You know, like Ron and I talked about it in Memphis. Like we're, and then it was I like I felt like you know business regular day to day life was just getting crazy, and I was like, no, I will not let this get away. I'm like, we have to do this. And uh, yep. I'm glad that we did, Ron. And I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I mean, my my final thoughts, guys, is and 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 as coming from somebody that hasn't sold annuities in in our in my business, I walked away from Memphis feeling like we're crazy. You know, that was the biggest thing I took away from it, and it's something that um, we're going to be we're going to implement into what we're doing. Like we just have to. I feel like it's just it's nuts not to. And as someone that's gotten better at you know cross-selling other products over the years, I know it's not exactly the same thing, but um, I feel like when you're worried about missing out on the Medicare sale, it's, it's, it's acting out in a scarcity mindset, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like you're, you're letting your chicken little mentality kind of get in the way of what you need to be doing as, a, as, a, as an agent. And um, I would just encourage people to don't let that mentality um, paralyze you and yeah, I mean, you can, you can, you can be a lot more successful, help your clients a lot more and just, you know, be a better overall agent by being more well-versed. So I, I thought this was a great episode. I loved it.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it too.
0: We'll have to do it again soon. Um, yeah. yep. All Absolutely. right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for watching. Um, we'll be back next Tuesday. We'll have to have Ron again, on again soon. When when you when you when you roll your your class back out, let us know. We'll come. We'll, yeah, we'll pump it up sure. like crazy. For sure. definitely. <laughs> for
1: sure.
0: All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for watching. Eat lots of tacos. We'll be back next week. Till next Tuesday.